Well, I've been telling you guys as we're coming to the conclusion now in the book of Colossians, it's only four chapters. And in all of Paul's writings and in all of Paul's epistles, he does a couple of things. Number one is at the beginning, he talks all about God and who God is and what God has done. We call it theology. Like this is how, who God is. And Paul writes Romans and Thessalonians and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians. And he reminds everybody and informs those who don't know who God is. Then he switches at the end of each of his letters. And he says, now, because you know who God is, now this is who you are. And this is what you're to do. And it goes from our belief to our behavior, because what you believe will determine every single time how you behave. And if you ever wonder why you're behaving this way, just go back a few steps and be like, oh, I was believing something weird, so I did something weird, or I was believing something great, so I did something great. And so what he's doing now is at the end of the letter, he's saying, oh, by the way, Christians now, I'll just set the tone. Look at verse one of chapter three, if you've got your Bibles open. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are sitting above. He goes on in verse two, set your mind on things above. He goes on in verse 5, therefore put to death your, your, your members, the stuff in your, in your life that you should be walking away from. Look at verse 8, but now you yourself are to put off these. And, and verse 9, don't lie. And in and, and verse 10, he says, and put on the new man. Verse 12, he says, therefore is the elect of God. All of these now directives, if you're a Christian, Okay, so this really only applies to Christians. If you're not a Christian, man, first, first step, become a Christian, give your life to Jesus, have him take away your sins, be filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, and then God has plans for you. As a matter of fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that none of us are saved by any works we've ever done. It's by grace alone, lest anyone should boast. But we're saved, he says in the next couple of verses, he says, and we're saved for good works that are preordained for us to walk in. Okay, this makes me so happy that God actually saved Luke for shed. He okay, saved me, not by, I couldn't do it, but he also saved Luke Frechette so that way Luke Frechette could do stuff. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to participate in something. I want to help out a little bit. You know, it's like, well, you can't save yourself. It's like, okay, imagine if you were drowning in the, you know, in the pool or the ocean and the lifeguard comes out and he's like, I'm here to save you. Like, well, I want to help save me too. It's like, dude, you already failed, bro. You just give up, man. I'll get you to the beach, but once you get to the beach, you got a life to live. There's stuff for you to do. You've been saved. And he gives us these directives. We've been titling these sections of scriptures we're into now, the end of chapter three and four. I want you guys to just focus in and lean on this. It's exciting. Uh, this section of sermons could be titled, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. Your vertical connection to God has to be demonstrated horizontally. And the way God has impacted you is gonna be seen in your family relationships, in your home. And he gives to us directives. Husbands and wives and wives, husbands and parents and kids and kids and parents. And then he goes into the workplace and bosses and employees and employees and bosses. And he says, this is all going to work. It's going to be seen. Your Christianity is not just a Sunday experience. It's a Saturday through Monday reality that you're living in the grace of Jesus Christ. And let me just boil this down for you because I'm going I'm to guess that your marriage hasn't always been perfect. Anybody here have a you know, perfect marriage? Single people, you know. <laughs> you know. I'm going to guess that your parenting hasn't always been flawless. You've made mistakes. Your kids have made mistakes. And when you were a kid, you didn't always obey your parents. And when you were an employee, you didn't always serve your, your boss. And if you were a boss or manager or captain or leader, you weren't always the best person to work for. And, man, we've all made mistakes, haven't we? And here's the I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that even though you want to do really good in your life moving forward, you're probably going to make more mistakes in your marriage and in your parenting and in your everything. Anybody going to make more mistakes? Anybody just, you know, okay, seven of you, the rest of you, good luck. Good luck. You're going to be surprised later today. Let me say this, though. 
The relationships that Paul's been talking about here, they're not really about the relationships with the people horizontally. They're really about your relationship with God vertically. And your singleness, your marriedness, your loyalty, your integrity, your character. Okay, we like to blame the people around us. Blame the government, blame your spouse, blame your kids, blame the weather. Okay, blame the dog. It's always the dog's fault. It's not. I'll say it this way. The heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. And I just want to prove this to you. Here's what he says. He says, I'll just, he says, wives submit to your husbands. First thing he said, remember that? As is fitting to the Lord. To the wives, he says, hey, it's between you and your husband, but really it's between you and the Lord. That's really where your problem's at. He says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives. In the book of Ephesians, he says, as Christ loved you. You got a problem with your wife loving her and caring for her and covering her? Well, really, it's, it's not her. It's your problem with God right now. He says to the children, he says, children, obey your parents because this is pleasing to the Lord. And as kids are having problems obeying their parents, it's really not the parents that's the problem. It's do the kids want to please the Lord? And if a child wants to please the Lord, watch out. It's going to be a good kid. He says to the fathers, fathers, don't provoke your children. He uses the same word for father, for, for parental fathers, that the Bible uses for our heavenly father. It's the same word. God calls himself the father. He says, hey, make sure you love your kids just like you've been loved by your dad. It's really a vertical problem. He says to employees, he says, guys, you guys are bond servants. You guys got relationships where you're working for somebody. Do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto man. He said it three or four times in the end of chapter three. So this is, this is to God. And so if you got a bad boss, you got a bad government, you're mad at taxes, mad at this stuff, and so you got a sour look on your face, it doesn't check out. You do what you do for God's sake, for God's glory. And then he says to masters, he says, hey, masters, make sure that you're a good leader because you have a leader above you named God. So if you're a bad dad or a bad mom or a bad leader, a bad captain, a bad manager, you've been, oh, it's not about the people that are under you that you're leading. It's about God above you that you're submitting to. Now, this is, this is revolutionary because you're going to have problems horizontally with everybody, right? And we're in, a, we're in the most sensitive, small, shallow time in the history of the world. Cancel culture and you offend, oh, I can't believe you offended me, you know, right? Ah, we're just, we're just it's culture, culture, it's happening right now. People used to be tougher back in the day. Like it was no big deal, like, oh, you know, something bad happened. People are tougher in different cultures, too. We're all just getting so weak, so sensitive. And it really isn't about your vertical as much as your horizontal. Here's what I want you guys to do. If you commit in all of your relationships to having vertical eyes rather than horizontal eyes, okay, you're going you're gonna to do better. It's still going to be all messed up, okay? Don't raise your hand, but we, we've been reading through the book of Daniel, and as I'm reading through the book of Daniel, Daniel is such a trip. His parents are killed, okay, by Nebuchadnezzar. A third of the children of Israel are taken to Babylon, 900 miles away, okay, and enslaved. And for three years, Daniel is trained in the Babylonian ways and the, of the Chaldeans. He's learning all the stuff. He's totally robbed of his heritage. And yet the Bible tells us that we see Daniel, he loves Nebuchadnezzar. He loves Darius. He loves the people that he serves. Because he doesn't have horizontal eyes, he has vertical eyes. And you see Nebuchadnezzar talk about Daniel, and he's like, oh, man, 
I love Daniel. And you see Darius, the Medo-Persian king. These guys are slayers, godless, wackadoos. They're crazy people. I'm like, oh, Daniel, he's my guy. I love that guy. Anytime I have a problem, I just call Daniel. He's so full of love. Did Daniel have a horizontal reason, okay, to slit these guys' throat? Just get real close to Nebuchadnezzar and be like, bang, right there, you know, and just shank him. Shouldn't he have shanked him? He should have shanked him. For those of you who don't know what shank, it's a knife to the, you know, throat. But he didn't because he had vertical eyes. Jeremiah had written him a letter, by the way. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem and said, hey, while you're there, pray and bless and serve the people you're with. Yeah, but they, they're all messed up. It's, it's not right. It's bad. How's your relationship with God? That's all that matters. This is going to be revolutionary, okay? If you have a tough marriage or you have tough kids or a tough employer or a tough life, okay, which you just fill in the blanks. All of us have a tough time. Maybe it's not that way all the time, but seasonally. And if you can understand that, if you can believe that, that your, your situation horizontally is not really about the situation. The offense that did happen, let's say it actually did happen. Let's say it actually did happen. Nebuchadnezzar killed Daniel's parents. It actually did happen. You can't undo that. So Daniel chose to look upwards and say, as unto the Lord, I'm going to serve this man. Jesus brought some light to this in the book of Luke in chapter 17, talking with his disciples. He said, guys, in life, it's impossible that you shouldn't be offended. You're going to be offended. You're going to be offended. You're going to be the offender sometimes. This is going to happen. So here's what I want you to do. Four things. Number one, rebuke people. Okay? Deal with it. Number two, repent. Own it. Number three, forgive. Number four, repeat as many times as necessary. That's what he says. And remember, he told the disciples, if somebody comes into your house and does something to them, and you got to forgive them, he says, do it once, twice, thrice, four, five, seven times. At the end of that teaching, the disciples are like, Lord, increase our faith. That's what their answer is. It's so rather like, oh, we're going to need help with that one. Oh, we're going to need help with that one. Because I'm going to cancel this sucker. I'm going to call a lawyer. Man, I'm gonna, I got the data right here. I got my, my ring camera. I got, the, I got the evidence, bro. You know. And Jesus says, you need to forgive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails. So when Paul says all these things, we need you to just, again, read it on your own time. In every one of these directives, he includes your relationship to God. This is going to be, this is going to change everything for you. Because the world moving forward, the road moving forward for you is going to be paved with bumps, potholes, detours, and problems. And God is sovereign in his goodness toward you. And you can trust him. And he says to you, I want you to do these things because you're going to be blessed. And also, you, you, let me say this actually. Let me say this. God gives directives to everybody in this whole list. And the reason why he gives everybody instruction, because if he gave only one person instructions, he would be a tyrant. If he just told wives to submit to husbands, I mean, I'd be fine with that. But he goes on, you know. He goes on. <laughs> he just goes on. And in scriptures, everybody gets some directions. Here's why. Here's the good news. Because God is going to hold everybody accountable. Oh, you're rich? You're going to be held accountable. Oh, you were poor when you were here? Yeah, you're going to be held accountable. Oh, you were over one talent, one mina? You're going to be held accountable. It's going to be an account. And I, I say that to say this. You who are struggling with others and what they're doing, stalk them on Facebook. Block them, then create a fake account to stalk them, but they don't know you're stalking them. You've done that yet? I haven't done that yet. Wanted to. Might still do it. 
And the Lord says, hey, I, I'll judge that person. I really will. You can't for, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, you don't know enough. You'll do it wrong. Number one, you don't have the authority. Number two, you don't have the love. You'll, you'll do it wrong. Don't judge that person. Let him go. I will, though. And for you who really believe in the sovereignty of God, that's good news. Because it's hard to forgive sometimes. It's hard to forget when you've been taken advantage of or mistreated. Trust me. Do, do, do two things with me. Let the Lord take care of them. Amen. And then let the Lord take care of you. Amen. Do you trust the Lord? Oh, if the Lord just said, okay, you want to be on your own? You want to just figure it out? You want to pound for pound, flesh for flesh? Go for it. <clears throat> Sad life. Sorry life. I'd rather trust the Lord and say, okay, I'll just take my licks. World's all messed up. Lord, would you make sure that I'm cared for in the future? He's like, yeah, I got you. Okay. I'm going to let them go. Would you take care of them too? Because I'm kind of, kind of still mad, you know? I'm going to let them go though. And, and really what all that is, is it's worship. It's cleansing. And the church needs to do this. Because if the church can't do this, because the world's not doing this, by the way. You know that? The world's not going to do this. The world does not have grace built into their system. Nope. No, it's equality. It's fairness. It's got to be equal. And if it's not, I'll kill you. Not me. That's what the world says. It's true. The kingdom of heaven is different. Man, I, we haven't even started the sermon yet. We've got to go, you guys. Oh, my gosh. This should motivate you then to be the best husband, best wife, best employee, best boss, best kid, best neighbor, best citizen possible. Look at verse 23. He says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Work, he says. Did you know that work is not a bad word? Okay, work is part of the kingdom of God. Genesis 1 and 2, God told Adam and Eve, work. Did you know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was a laborer? He had calluses on his hand. He grew his own food with his family. He was a carpenter. He wasn't afraid to work. We live in a society these days that says, I'm going to do as little as possible to accomplish what I've been asked to do, and that's it. Let's buck that reality, and let's be a Christian church that rises up and says, I'm going to do the most. There's actually a stereotype for people that work too hard. They're just kind of like not liked at the job place. Like, yeah, he just works too hard. It's like, what? Where'd that satanic idea come from? Let me tell you something about work. Okay. Work's important. I'm teaching my kids to work. I give them tasks. I, I, I give them lists, and I check on their work, and I teach them character and ethics and integrity and doing things right because I want them to be successful in life moving forward. But I also want them to understand that when you're working, when you're doing things, it's unto the Lord, that that's when the Lord is going to contract you to do things for him. Rarely, I'm going to offend you right now. Rarely, I'm going to offend you right now. Check everyone buckle up. Rarely does God call lazy people to do anything for him. As a matter of fact, if you study the scriptures, he calls men and women that are already actively doing something, and he shoulder taps them and says, let's go. Ruth was working in the field, gathering food for Naomi. Let's go. I got a plan for you, Ruth. Moses was tending his father-in-law's sheep, saw the burning bush. Elisha was plowing his field when Elijah showed up. Peter and Andrew were casting nets. Jesus shows up. Throughout the scriptures, men and women who are working, who aren't lazy, who are steadfast, God notices them and then includes them in the things of God. It's just the way it is. You'll be rewarded in heaven and you'll be rewarded on earth. I just encourage you, don't be afraid of work. Don't be lazy. Don't be shady. Don't be small. Go above and beyond. Your, your flesh doesn't want to hear any of this, by the way. Like, I like to be shady. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to do that. <sighs> Slay your flesh. 
slay your flesh. This should motivate you. You're going to be rewarded both here and in heaven. I read a story about Mother Teresa who was ministering in Calcutta and, and to the, the poorest of the poor and the dirtiest. And, the, and one person was watching her work and cleaning sores that were oozing off of these people that were dying. And this person wrongly in their flesh reacted and said, I wouldn't do that for a trillion dollars. And Mother Teresa said, neither would I. I'm doing these for the rewards and the glory of my Father. I'm not doing it for here. I'm doing it for heaven. When we're so fixated on what's going to bless me now and how it's going to work out now, you must have an eternal vertical. You must have vertical eyes and an eternal understanding. You're not going to live here forever. You are going to live somewhere forever, though. Forever! And let that be a motivator. The love of Christ compels us. So, too, the things that God has called us to should compel us to live differently. What if it's not working for you, though? What if you're loving your spouse and they're not loving back? What if you're raising your kids and they're not raising back? What if the Bible gives us instruction? It says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap a harvest if we do not grow weary. Just keep going. See, we're so small and so sensitive that if it doesn't work, I love that person, I waved at that person, they, they, I helped that person, I served that person, they didn't notice, they didn't pay me back, they didn't understand, they didn't reciprocate that love. Okay, again, your relationship's not so much horizontal. That's not the issue. Did you do it for the Lord? No. Okay, well, there's your train wreck right there. There's your train wreck. You're off the tracks. Do it for God. Keep showing up. Why do you think Daniel was able to thrive in Babylon? Because he wasn't doing it for the people this way. He was doing it for the people this way. And I'm so grateful for God's word that gives us that instruction, that hope. He tells us. Now he's going to give us a little more practical direction in these next verses, verses 2 through 6. He's going to tell you and I who are believers, who are working out our faith and, and our salvation with fear and trembling, to be those who use our tongue, our mouths for three separate things. Number one, to pray to God. Number two, to preach to the people around us. Okay, to preach the word. And number three, to also let our speech be seasoned with grace for the non-believers that are among us. Look at verse two. He says, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. This is where we left off last week. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open up a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And he goes on, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I'm so glad that Paul gives us this section of scripture that he penned to the church at Colossae so they would know how to live their lives. He'd never been to this church. He didn't understand what they were going through, but he knew that these principles were going to be applied to them. They would then walk successfully, specifically starting with prayer. He's been talking about horizontal relationships, serve them and submit to them and love them. And he says, hey, make sure you also have this connection here. And I'm so glad the Bible commands us and teaches us to pray because if it didn't, guess what? We wouldn't. We just wouldn't pray. Prayer is one of those things you need to learn and practice to do. The disciples with Jesus Christ himself after three years asked him to teach them one thing. It was to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. As I mentioned earlier, I'm glad we did the week of prayer and fasting because it gave us an opportunity to obey. Most of us wouldn't do it. We just wouldn't. And I got a house, my wife and my three kids, and, and one of the things I put upon myself is I wanted us to be a praying house. Okay, not a religious house, but a praying house. And so it's up to me and up to the kids and up to my wife to every once in a while say, hey, let's pray about that. Let's pray. It shouldn't be a foreign thing for you to pray. 
I pray before I leave the house with my kids every single day. We pray before big events. We pray before the evening starts, before we go to bed. We pray. Somebody requests a prayer and they call us or we, let's pray for them. It was so cool to come to the prayer group on Thursday night. We broke up into uh, groups in the back uh, and there's about you know, 70 people here or something like that. And we prayed and my kids were at these tables and we were rotating through and my kids were praying for the world problems. Vocalizing their prayers was such a gift to me and I believe so sweet to God's ears. And the Bible says that we need to learn to pray. There's short prayers, there's long prayers, spontaneous prayers, there's kind of some routine prayers or prayer times. There's a prayer language, prayer groups, there's prayer buddies that we pray with. And I just want to encourage you guys that Paul says we need to be vigilant in it. And let me teach you something I taught you guys before. Prayer, okay, as we're learning to pray, Jesus says my house should be a house of prayer. We want to be a praying church. Okay, your prayers are always answered one of three ways. Yes, that's a good prayer right there. No, I eat, and not yet. Every single time. Sometimes we give up praying because we didn't like the answer we got. Well, I prayed and God didn't answer it. No, he fully answered it. You just didn't like it. I asked this and it didn't. Yep. Yes, no, and not yet. God's delays in your prayer are not his denials necessarily. We're such babies. I mean, we order stuff on Amazon.com, you know, and it shows up the next day. And we're like, that's how it should go, you know. And, and then we pray and nothing happens. And so we give up. And listen, God's delays are not his denials. As a matter of fact, did you know that when you are praying and God is delaying, oftentimes he's working in a deeper grace and a deeper understanding, a deeper character in you before he gives to you that which you've asked? I'll just say it more clearly. He's doing a work in you before he does a work for you. That's what he's doing. And you've prayed for things. Lord, I want this to happen, and it's a good thing. Lord, do you not agree this is a good thing? I'm asking for a good thing, you know. And one says, oh, I totally think it's a good thing. Well, then give it to me. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to mess with you first. I'm going to mess with you. And as I get older and older, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm like, okay, Lord, you can mess with me. I mean, isn't that crazy? God's just messing with you right now. Don't stop praying. Don't get bitter. God told Joseph when he was a young boy that he was going to use them. Those were the desires of his heart. He's going to use them. So Joseph immediately began to walk in those, those gifts. Like, I think I'm going to be used. I'm going to lead my mom and dad, my brothers. Isn't that awesome? Didn't go the way he wanted God had to do a work in Joseph before he did a work through Joseph. And at the end, Joseph said, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what was going on. Whoa, how cool is that? And he was a man of God. God's delays aren't his denials. He's doing something in you. Let me say something about prayer, though. Prayer is kind of like saving money or, or lifting weights. Okay, you can't just do it every once in a while. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be a lifestyle. If you work out... Once a month, 12 times per year, no one will notice, right? Yeah, I go to the gym. First of the month, pay the bill, and I leave, you know? <laughs> you know? No one's going to notice except the guy that runs the gym. And every once in a while we pray, I pray sometimes, really, I, I wouldn't have noticed. I wouldn't have noticed that you were a prayer person because I don't see the joy of the Lord in your life. I don't see the fruit of God in your life. I don't see the power of God. And if you ever notice somebody that you know, maybe has money or it was or is fit, or smart. They didn't wake up that way. They were consistent in those disciplines. And it's the same with the disciplines of God. We have to pray daily. We have to study daily. We have to do these things daily. He says it right here. Look at verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. Okay, the first thing you need to write, if you're a note taker, write this down. We need to pray faithfully. Okay, continuing. 
is what he says. Make prayer a habit. Make prayer a lifestyle. Make prayer a response. Make prayer a culture. This is what we do. Don't get discouraged when it doesn't work. Just like if you did go, I worked out yesterday for the first time in three weeks. It had been three weeks since I got sick, and, and I, we get praying fast. I haven't worked out in over three weeks, so I worked out yes, yesterday, and I woke up today. Guess how I felt today? Sore! And I was like, oh, ow, oh, you know? I hadn't felt it in a while. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it kind of. kind of feels good. I'm not sure where that illustration was going, but anyways. Make it consistent, okay? Do the work. Do the work faithfully, faithful. Don't just pray sometimes, pray all the time. He says also, I want you guys in verse two, look at this. He said, pray earnestly in prayer, being vigilant. That word means watchful. Can I just encourage you when you pray, don't be lazy in your prayers, okay? Be watchful, be vigilant, be alert, be active, be, be engaged. You ever prayed with somebody before and next thing you know, you're actually taking a nap? You're taking a nap in your prayer, you know? You shouldn't fall asleep during prayer. It shouldn't be that boring, Okay, vigilant, watchful prayers, purposeful. And we're, we're all prone to religiosity and laziness and silliness and just sadness and all this stuff. He says, no, no, continue earnestly being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Did you know you can also pray thankfully? I loved, as I was just thinking about this this morning, I was sitting there by myself at 6 a.m., everyone was asleep. I'm so thankful for that. And I was by myself, just sitting there looking around my house. I was so grateful for all the things that God's given to me. And when you come to God, oftentimes it's a grocery list. Here's what I need. Here's what's going on. Here's where we're at. Here's what needs to happen, you know. And then you have to interject within that thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, by the way, I want to remember what you've done. Oh, Lord, I want to rehearse that. Oh, Lord, by the way, I'm so grateful. Oh, and it's just so fun to intermingle that. If a Christian is not thankful but contrary is grumpy, okay, that's one of the biggest oxymorons in the world. There should be no grumpy Christians ever, ever. Mm, it's tough. Really? Are you saved? Yeah. All your sins are forgiven? Mm-hmm. You're going to heaven when you die. You don't belong there, but you've been invited? Mm-hmm. And there's eternal rewards and dividends and like mansions and jewels for you? That's true, too. But I'm so mad. <laughs> I made myself laugh. This shouldn't happen! Vigilant, watchful. Continue faithfully with thanksgiving. And then lastly, so not only should you be faithful in your prayers, watchful in your prayers, thankful in your prayers, but you should be purposeful in your prayers. Look what he says in verse three. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is important for you who want to grow in prayer. He says, when you pray, pray purposeful, targeted prayers, real prayers, specific prayers, directed prayers. One of the reasons why we don't pray specific, targeted, purposeful prayers is because of our lack of faith. Deal with this. I had to deal with this this morning as I was thinking this through. It's easier to pray a blanket prayer because then you don't know if it gets answered or not, if it doesn't, you know. It's harder to pray a specific prayer because you have to wrap your mind around God's mind and your heart around his heart. And this morning I was repenting by way of prayer for some areas that I've been blanketing, just kind of like throwing God's grace and favor on this area and Lord, would you just bless the world? Amen. I don't want to offend you, but I'm going to offend you. When you say, Lord, bless the world, okay, it goes into his spam folder, okay? It just goes right into his junk. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. He didn't get the, bless the world. He already did bless the world. It's done, okay? Be more specific. Be, you know, Lord, bless all the missionaries in the world, spam folder. He doesn't get it. Instead, pray purposeful, specific prayers. 
Man, on Thursday, it was so rad. Uh, Pastor Adam Durkin put together these prayer points. At all, There was nine tables, and each table had a different prayer point, and they were all listed, so we were targeting our prayers. Names, numbers, certain uh, things that the world are struggling through. And my kids, when I went home and talked to them, they said it was one of the most powerful nights of the week. Just like, it was crazy, the numbers. And, and we prayed for missionaries specifically by name. And I would just pray purposely. Can you imagine this summer if you just called a, a painting company? And you said, yeah, I'd like to uh, get my house painted. He said, okay, where do you live? I said, I live in Newport. <laughs> All right, so just any house in Newport? Yep, any house in Newport will do. Just hopefully you pick mine, you know. What, are we gonna, what color are we going to paint it? Just, well, I don't know what color, just paint it. Inside or out? I don't know, wherever it needs it, I guess. You know, and, and then you hang up, and do you think your house is going to get painted that summer? No, dude. They're going to laugh at you. You would see them your address. You would pick the paint. You would negotiate the terms. You would set it up. You would be all involved because you're ordering a specific thing. Now, so pray purposeful prayers. And hopefully that challenges you. Hopefully that grows you. Hopefully it just stings a little bit. Look at what Paul asked for them to pray for. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. First of all, let me just say this. If Paul, the apostle, possibly the greatest disciple and evangelist to ever live, needed prayer to do his job, how much more so do we need prayer to do our jobs? Paul's in jail. He says, hey, would you pray for me? Because I'm in jail and I'm trying to do my job. So I need you guys to pray for me. Don't think this is Christianity is going to be easy for anybody. It's only going to go forward in power when it's covered in prayer. Pray for me. Pray for me that God would open up a door for the word. Now, by the way, Paul's in jail, okay? And he's not praying for the prison doors to be open so he can be released. How many guys would pray that? You're going to send out your prayer request, your friends. Pray that the judge hears my case and gets me out of here. This is crazy. Thank you, you know. And come visit me, dang it, you know. <laughs> I get letters from jail for people. He says, no, pray for me that while I'm here, the doors not of the prison would be open so I can leave, but the doors of ministry would be open while in here. Trip out with me for a minute. Most of us aren't going to go to jail, okay? But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Satan is going to attack you in various ways. Your life's going to come under persecution. You're going to be in bondage to something. And most of us pray immediately to be delivered from the stuff. You might not be delivered from the stuff. God says, no, I want, you, I want to use you in this stuff. Pray in your suffering that God uses you in that employment, in that environment, in that county, in that state, in that suffering, in that disease. Pray that God uses you. But I don't want the disease. I understand. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, the apostles are imprisoned. And while they're in prison, they don't pray to get out. They pray to be strengthened, that the word of God would go out. They don't pray for a new government, a new, new, new school district policy, a new man. They don't pray for anything out there. They pray for themselves. And here's Paul. He says, I'm in jail. So here's, here's my specific prayer request. Would you pray that a door is opened for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out here? And as you know, when Paul would write to the, book of, uh, to the church at Philippi, he would say, hey, the, those here at Caesar's household, they greet you. Men and women here are getting saved right where I'm at, right in my prison. Now, he's praying that the word would go out, and I'm just going to say this simply. Uh, we need that as well. I'd like to encourage you to pray for pastors that preach, pray for Sunday school teachers, pray for youth pastors, pray for the jail ministry, pray for anybody that is going out declaring God's word. As a matter of fact, on uh, 
Friday, we broke up into prayer groups and we prayed for the future of South Beach Church. And I had quickly jotted down uh, 37 things that are happening here at South Beach Church, 37 ministries that are ongoing here at South Beach Church, 37 areas. And do you know what I did not write on here? And I read it this morning again just to make sure. I didn't write it at all. I didn't even say it. It's the pulpit preaching of God's word. It's like my ministry, so I didn't put it in there. You know, it's kind of like false humility. You know what I mean? That's kind of funny. Someone should laugh at that. And yet how much prayer does this church need to keep being used by God to open up doors for the word to go out as we ought to preach? The story's told of some visitors that went to London to attend one of Charles Spurgeon's services. And they got there early and they saw the custodian walking around. And so they said, hey, can you give us a tour? And he had coveralls on. He's like, yeah, come on, I'll show you the church. And so he showed them the church. And during the tour, he asked these guys that were visitors, he said, do you guys want to see the boiler room? And they said, no, no. Was there donuts there? You're like, what's there? You know, and he said, oh, that's the powerhouse. I'll show you. Come here. And he went down a couple of levels into the boiler room and he opened the door and it was full of people. And he said, these are the people that have been praying all day for the service tonight. And these are the people that will be in here during the service tonight. And while the message goes out, this is why it's going to be powerful. Later on that night, as they were waiting for service to begin, Pastor Charles Spurgeon came out, and it was the same guy wearing the coveralls, but he had taken them off, and now he was doing his job from the pulpit. And it's not, it's not any different now than Paul's day, than in Charles Spurgeon's day, then right now in the time of South Beach Church, matter of fact, I was talking to Ginny over here on my right, and I said, you know what I really desire? We, Pastor Lyle Chamberlain, and Pastor, Pastor Lyle, Lyle leads our uh, prayer team, and we have a prayer culture here. It's happening. It's growing. But I would really covet more prayers and the prayers of the people, concentric prayers for the pulpit and ministry at South Beach Church, that God would anoint his word, that God would open up hearts, that people would be saved. There will be no salvation outside of the preaching of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the word of God that transforms lives, that changes lives, that instructs lives, that corrects lives, that restores souls, that gives light in the darkness, that gives new life where there is death and that sets the captives free. It's the power and preaching of God's word. First Corinthians one twenty one says God has chosen to save some through the preaching of God's word. And Paul in jail says, hey, I'm in jail. Oh, what do you need prayer for? That I can preach the word with power. That it will go forth. Pray for that to happen. Pray for our Sunday school workers. Pray for our youth pastors. Pray for those who are declaring God's word. Isn't this crazy that Paul's praying and asking for prayers to do the very thing that got him landed in jail? <laughs> this guy's so tough. Look at what he says in verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. I'm in jail already. So pray that I just keep doing this. I don't give up. And I would say that. Pray for teachers. Don't take them for granted. I do this. I have pastors in my, in my circle that I receive from. I read authors and leaders. And I'm so grateful for their ministry. And God would ask me, Luke, do you pray for them? Or do you just hope they hit it out of the park every time? You just hope they're anointed, hope they're full. They're just men just like you. Paul says, Pray pray. He goes on and he says that I may make manifest that which I ought to speak. That word made manifest means to make real, to make evident, and to make available. Then he gives two more instructions. I want you guys to see this verses five and six. This is for us. We're going to walk in this this week. He says, also, 
Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Stop right there, eyes up here. In this last section, he says, here's what I want you to use your tongue for. Your tongue is powerful. It has the power of life and death, okay? You can either set stuff up or you can tear stuff down. You can bring calm and cooling, healing agents to people, or you can light a fire that's going to burn. James tells us that. He says, so I want you to use your tongues first to pray. Pray always. Uh, Pray faithfully and pray watchfully and pray thankfully and pray purposefully. And then I want you to also pray that you can preach and that the preachers go out. But I also want you to walk with wisdom, redeeming the time, letting your speech be seasoned with grace and salt always. It's important that we live our lives a certain way, isn't it? Because people are watching you. It's important that we as Christians live wise, that we redeem the time. Matter of fact, studies have gone out over the years that upwards of 7 to 11 people throughout any normal day will study everything you do. They'll just watch you unaware to your knowing. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. It's called stalking. You can call the cops on them. They'll just watch you. And now on Facebook and Instagram and all that, man, they're stalking you at a higher level. They're just watching you. And Paul says, yeah, that's good. That's, I'll read it to you just so you guys don't think I'm making this up. Walk in wisdom, verse 5, toward those who are outside redeeming the time. The Bible says that you and I are living epistles, which means we're alive letters. I can give somebody the book of, or the, the gospel, and they might not accept it. They just might not, not in that season. So God says, okay, that's one way that I'm going to minister to them. The other way, by you. I want your life to be a living epistle. They're going to watch you on purpose. So the things you do and or don't do are going to be powerful in displaying the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says redeeming the time. You know what that literally means? It means to take back the time that God's given to you, to look for value within the days that God's given to you, to not waste moments or opportunities. Okay, not everyone's built this way. I'm kind of built this way already. I'm already, already kind of just looking for opportunities. Like, I'm pretty good at it. I can, like, set stuff up and make things happen. When I go to the coffee house, instead of going through the drive through my personal conviction is I'm going to get out of my car and go in because there's more opportunities to see people. That's my, you know, it's like when you're busy, you're busy. But I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to see some people. And I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to say hi to everybody over here. Hey, everybody over here. Some people aren't going to be like, happy to see me. But, I, hey, I'm happy to see you. I'm getting coffee. And I just want, because there's more opportunity. Now, sometimes I'm tired and I don't want to go into Fred Myers and shop and all that, you know, but if I redeem the time, literally, I mean, what are you doing here? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Going to heaven? Yeah. Filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Got the promises of God? Yeah. Got the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I got it all? Okay. Okay. God's going to use you to walk in wisdom and to redeem the time. Last verse, verse six, and we're done. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Salt is an interesting concept uh, in those days. It was, it was rare, and it was valuable, and it was necessary. And they would use salt to preserve their meats, and they would use salt to, to preserve and to purify certain things. And, and it was the only way. It was really, oh, you got salt? That's a big deal. And he says, let your speech be that. Let your speech promote a, a thirst within your listener. The way you talk, the way you live, it should cause the people that you are around to want what you have. You ever had some salty fries before? Just eating those fries? And all you want is like a big old glass of Coke? I haven't had fries and Coke in a long time, but I sure want some right now, you know. And your lives should be, should, I'm not going to though, but should be, your lives should be 
promoting something to the people you're talking to and living with. They should want a little bit of what you have. Your speech should be preserving. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be perverse and it shouldn't be gross. The Bible talks about that. You should be different. Paul gives us all these instructions. Guys, next week's sermon is going to be real fun. Portion of scripture, I should say the sermon. I don't know if that's going to be fun, but this portion of scripture is fun. And within it, Paul lists a whole bunch. He lists 11 people that have helped him in the ministry. 11 people he wants you to know about. And it's kind of crazy because they're just normal people. This is a brand new church, brand new startup. Some of the men and women that Paul lists in this scripture, they're, they're has-beens. They're, they're, they're sinners, criminals that God has redeemed and is now using. There's not a lot of good news going on in the world today. There just isn't. But there's a ton of good news going on in God's word and in God's kingdom. And he wants us to be filled and anointed, purposeful, watchful, thankful, and faithful. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. All of this is predicated upon knowing you. Paul already labored long about who Jesus was. And he said, if you then were raised with Christ and set your mind on things above. Man, this is, if, if all that's good to go, oh, if you got the new man, what? Let's get fired up. And I pray in Jesus' name for this church, Lord, the 9 a.m. service, those watching at home online, Lord, those who are saved, that you would empower us to take this seriously. We're going to die. This isn't our eternal home. This is not where it's going to go down forever. But there is a forever home. And I pray in Jesus' name you'd give us those vertical eyes for our horizontal relationships. And we would, Lord, use what you have given to us in your word today to love those people unconditionally. Husbands and wives and parents and children and bosses and employees and neighbors and all the people around us. And here's Paul praying in prison that he would have more ministry opportunities. So I pray to soften our hearts and forgive us, Lord, for being selfish, for being sinful, for being small. Would you anoint us with your Holy Spirit? Thank you for South Beach Church and what you've done and what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for South Beach Christian School and how you're raising up that school, Lord, to change and disciple the next generation. Lord, we pray that things this week would happen according to the land and according to what you want to do moving forward, that you, Lord, would release the land, that you would put, Lord, terms together and all those would come together. There'd be clarity, there'd be unity, and there'd be joy. Lord, let it happen this week. And we thank you for all you've done. Bless the 11 a.m. service. They're coming in hot. Bless the 9 a.m. service as they go out and be the light and be the salt, Lord. We love you and give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Hey, don't forget, Celebrate Recovery. This Tuesday, childcare provided with a meal. All the guys are going to uh, the arcade today, two high schoolers. So talk to Pastor Rory. He's around. Other than that, I love you guys. God bless you. You are dismissed.